Hi. Hi, hi again. Hey, we're uh, starting a new series called Hang On. We've been going through the book of Luke for the past two years, and I think we're going to finish next year, hopefully. And uh, we're in chapter 12. And if you haven't read through the book of Luke, there's 24 chapters in Luke, so we're halfway, finally. So you're like, how are we going to finish in one year when it took us two years to get here? We'll see. (laughs) All right, so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. This is the first section of chapter 12. And uh, to give you some context as to what's happening here, we have Jesus, and he has this group of followers, and outside of that, he has even more followers. He has thousands of followers at this point. This is probably the peak in terms of numbers, how many people follow Jesus. And at this point, uh, Jesus knows what's coming up, which is he's going to go to the cross eventually. He's going to die you know, on the cross, but be resurrected. And he also knows that the people who are following him are about to experience some, like a big storm. And so, you know, you've heard the, the term that says um, storms develop character. Have you heard of that before? Well, what Jesus points out today is not just that, but the opposite is also true, which is this, that storms that reveal character is coming your way. Because sometimes when you're in a situation, like a tough time, right? It could develop your character. It could make you into a better person. Yeah, that's true. But it could also reveal character, right? So sometimes you're, you know, let's just say you're in a situation and you're pushed against the wall and all of a sudden you say something that you thought you would never say and, and you're like, where'd that come from? And then you look deeper inside and you realize, oh, that's actually who I really was. It just revealed what was in my heart. And so Jesus is saying there's a storm coming. Be careful because there's going to be some stuff that you're going to go through and some things are going to come out of you that you may not like. And so this is where we pick up the story. This is chapter 12, verse 1, Luke chapter 12. Here we go. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I want you to understand and maybe even appreciate the situation here. There's a huge sea of people, right? Everybody's gathering. They're like, oh, there's that Jesus guy. We heard about him. I heard him preach. I heard him heal. I saw him heal somebody. I want to see him. You know, people are going crazy, right? Like, I want to see. They're trampling on each other. And Jesus decides, seeing thousands of faces, he takes his inner 12. He pulls them aside and says, okay, let's huddle. Quick meeting. <clears throat> I got something very important to tell you. And the disciples like, yeah, what is it, Jesus? I, What's so important that you have to tell us now? I want you to be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. And disciples are like, excuse me? Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeast? You, you, you gathered us here to talk about yeast? Now, you see, there's something that's missed in translation here. Because back then, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Today, who talks about yeast, right? I mean, I don't know. Last time you talked about yeast was yesterday? No, right? Like, you don't talk, we don't talk about yeast that much. But today, we would put it this way. Be careful of the disease that's being spread by the, by the Pharisees. Pharisees are these religious people who, who, who were the religious elite back then. He's basically saying there's something that these religious people, these religious leaders, are spreading, right? And yeast is something that expands and, you know, it, it, it takes over, right? So he's like, be careful of the teachings of the Pharisees because what they're teaching is spreading, and it might be spreading to you, so be very careful. And the disciple's like, okay, so what is this yeast? What is this thing you have to be careful of? He says, I want you to be careful of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Jesus, is, is that really the thing that we should be careful of? I mean, I'm, I could think of many other things you should be careful of. Hypocrisy is a thing. You gather this in the midst of this craziness to warn us about hypocrisy. 
Well, maybe we lost something in translation there too. So the word hypocrisy is the word hypocrisis. This is what it looks like in Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, <clears throat> now I put that up there to make you think that I'm smart because when I talk about Greek, you're like, ooh, okay. Okay, but this is what it looks like. But what I want you to understand is the, the Greek word for hypocrisy or hypocrite doesn't necessarily mean exactly what we think about. Because when we think about hypocrisy, we think of you say one thing, but you do another thing. But the word hypocrisis back then, what it, impl- it was an acting term. It's a theater term. You, what you, so you're acting a certain way, and, it, and back then they didn't have cameras, so they couldn't see your face on the screen. So what they did was they put up these big masks. They put up a mask so the people in the back could see exactly what you're emoting. So if you're sad, you put up a sad mask. And if you're happy, you put up a happy mask. And if you're confused, you put up a confusion mask. I don't know what kind of mask they had back then. And that would be called, what, that, that would be an actor back then. So you didn't really have to put much effort into acting. You had masks to do your acting for you, right? <clears throat> but that's what Jesus is saying. These people, these Pharisees, what they're teaching the people to do is act a certain way in certain settings and act another way in other settings. Well, what does he mean specifically? In context, what Jesus is talking about is this. In front of Jesus, you're saying, yes, I love Jesus. Jesus, I'll follow you no matter what. But the next day, when you go into the marketplace and you're doing your grocery shopping and you've come across your friend, let's just say Peter, you know, one of the followers of Jesus, goes out into the marketplace and he sees his high school friend. Hey, Pete. It's like, oh, hey, Bob, I haven't seen you since high school. Hey, so I heard you've been following that Jesus dude. Yeah? It's like, oh, I heard some pretty bad things about him. Oh, oh well, yeah, I, I follow him sometimes. You know, like, I follow him, you know, I, actually, not, you know, don't tell everybody I said this, but... Uh, I'm actually doing him a favor because, you know, he didn't, have, he, only, he didn't have any followers. I felt bad for him, so I decided to say, okay, sure, I'll give up my fishing business to follow you. Don't tell people that, but I'm just doing this as a favor to him. Like, right, you could kind of see how you're putting on a different face in front of Jesus, but depending on the situation you're in, you put on a different face because you want to save face, right? So this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that this yeast of the Pharisees is actually this act of trying to save face depending on the circumstance you're in. So, Look at the next verse. This is what Jesus is talking about. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And then he continues the next thought. Verse 3. What you have said in the dark will be, will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. <coughs> in public, you confessed, I follow Jesus. But in the ear, you're whispering in a private room to somebody, you know, off to the side, not really following you. Now, which version of the story, which mask do you tend to believe? So I'll give you an example. Ten years ago, almost ten years ago, I stood before a congregation of people, and my, my bride was standing next to me. I stood before her. I stood before my pastor, and I made a commitment saying, I love this woman. I will give my life to her. I would love to be married to her for the rest of my life, rest of her life, my life. You know, this is our vow. That was my public proclamation. Now, this didn't happen, so I don't want to get emails on this, but let's pretend, okay? (laughs) A week later, I'm in the privacy of my friend's room, and my friend says, so you really love her, Kotz? I'm like, well, don't tell anybody, but uh, there's somebody else that I really like, but I married her because, you know, right? Now, eventually, that secret gets out. He promised me he won't tell anybody, but he probably did. Okay, so he goes, right? And now there's a rumor that's going into your ears. Now, you, you were there when I made the public proclamation before everybody that I will love her with all my heart and I will love her till the day that we die, right? But then you have this other information that entered your ear that says, well, in secret, Kotz said something else. 
Which one do you believe? Right? You see, this is the thing, is sometimes a public proclamation has a certain amount of weight, but something you say in secret, when it gets out into the public, has sometimes a greater form, a field of authenticity. And so even though you heard both sides, you have to make a decision which one is the true one. <clears throat> Jesus is saying, what you say in secret sometimes has more weight than what you said in public. So be very, very careful what you say. Like the mask that you're wearing, you think it's in secret, but eventually it gets out. Now, let's just say in that example, the scenario I just gave you, which is not true, okay? <clears throat> let's just say that somebody forced me to say it. Somebody forced me. Somebody's had a gun against my head and said, Cos, you better say this or else I'll shoot you. Crazy example, right? But okay, let's just say that happens. And that gets into your ear. Hey, guess what? Cos was at a point in life or death, and he had to say that he didn't like, love his wife. Well, at that point, you're going to say, well, I, I believe what Cos said in public, but what I heard that happened in private, well, that sounds like he actually, well, he doesn't like the other person, but it sounds like he values his own life more than he values his wife. So no matter how you look at it, what you say in private has a greater weight in some, most cases than what you say in public. <clears throat> and so this is what Jesus is saying. Be very careful because you're being a hypocrite. When you're, you're having two faces, right, that puts into question your allegiance to God. And so the question is, well, why would somebody do that? Jesus tells us why we do that. Next verse. <clears throat> he said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. So in the heart of Jesus, in the, in the mind of Jesus, when he assesses this whole thing, he looks at it and says, you know what the problem here is? Hypocrisy is birth of fear. Fear. Fear is the reason that we have two faces, right? The reason why Peter will go to the marketplace and say something that he doesn't mean to say is because he doesn't want to lose face. He's worried of what people might say about him. But in the culture back then, it wasn't about, like, oh, people might judge me for being a Christian. Back then, your life was in danger. If you said that you were a follower of Jesus, it could eventually lead to your death. So Jesus says, I know why you have two faces. You have the face that says, I want to follow Jesus, but you also have this other face that says, I don't know if I want to follow him. I, I want to kind of downplay it. He's like, the reason is because you're afraid. It's fear. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. So let's go to that verse, verse 4. So I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. He's like, yeah, this is a fear issue. But then he doesn't end there. He says this. He says, and after that can do no more. Uh, this is a really weird verse, okay? Because this is what Jesus is in essence saying. He's saying, I know you're afraid, and that's why you're putting up that face when you're with that person. But the worst that person could do to you is kill you. And then after that, he can't do anything more to you. So what are you afraid of? To which we say, that actual thing, that, that killing me part. That's what's scaring me, right? It's like, no, no, no. He's like, listen to my words, Jesus would say. That person who would threaten you, you know, for following me, he kills you, and then he can't do anything more to you. Like, okay, great, he killed you. He's going to kick your body? Okay, great, right? Like, what else? He's going to put dirt on you? Sure, he's going to spit on you? Fine, okay. He can't do anything more to you after he kills you. It's like, what are you talking about? This, this is what Jesus is talking about. When we say that we're afraid to die, we're afraid that our existence might end at that point. Why are we afraid of dying? Because after we die, we're afraid there's nothing after that, right? And Jesus says, no, there is something after that. After somebody kills you, 
That's, his, that's the greatest threat that is posed against you. But guess what? There's something beyond death. That there's something that you are not your body. Your body is a part of you. There's you and your body is a part of you, right? And all they could do is kill, you, take, you know, kill your body, but you are still alive. Like you, the essence of who you are is still around. So like you have nothing to worry. If you're putting up the second face because you're afraid that somebody's going to kill you, well, guess what? You don't have to be worried about that anymore. Now, if Jesus stopped right there in his teaching, I'd be like, great, yeah, okay, I love that. I love that teaching, Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Because in verse 5, he says something totally strange. He says this. <clears throat> he says, but I will show you whom you should fear. It's like, okay, so don't be afraid of the people who could kill you. But I will tell you who you should be afraid of. So we all lean forward. Who, who is that, Jesus? And he says this. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Here he's talking about God the Father. He says, you know who, who doesn't have the power to cease you from existing? people. They can only kill your body. But you know who can take the essence of who you are and throw you into hell? God. You should be worried about God. And then, after that, he says this. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. To some of you who are Christians, people who you grew up in the church, you read the Old Testament, you're like, yes, fear God, fear God, right? Because in the Old Testament, the word for fear, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word fear has multiple meanings. One could be like, ooh, I'm scared. But another word for that could be, ooh, I have respect, I have awe, I have reverence for God. But here's the problem. This is written in Greek. This is the New Testament. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll find out that they rarely say fear God. And the reason why is because the Greek word for fear doesn't mean respect or have awe. As a matter of fact, the word for fear is the word where we get the word phobia. The phobos is the Greek word. And that word phobos means to take flight, to run away, to be terrorized. So what Jesus is saying here makes absolutely no sense. He's saying this. You don't have to be worried about the people who kill you because after they kill you, they can't do anything to you. But you know who you should be afraid of? You know who you should be running away from? is God. Like, what did Jesus just say? He, he just said run away from God. Like, you should be worried about God. Like, we should be staying up at night because we're afraid, about, you know, like, afraid of God. What, what is Jesus trying to teach us? Now, if you stop the story at verse 5, then we're in a lot of problems. We have a lot of troubles here. Okay, so I'm going to quote somebody. Uh, his name is Dr. Joel B. Green. He's like, the top scholars of the world will look to Joel Green, Dr. Joel Green, to see what he thinks about Luke. So we're going to quote him. Look at this. And this, verse 5, anticipates the continuation of Jesus' instructions in verses 6 through 7. He's like, if you stop at verse 5, we're in, we're in a lot of trouble. Because Jesus is telling us you should be afraid of God, right? Where Jesus again clarifies in verses 6 and 7 the nature of God who oversees events in the world. He's saying this. He's saying, if you stop at verse 5, we're in a lot of trouble. This is why we should be reading verses 6 and 7. To which you would say, well, Kotz, what does verse 6 and 7 say? That's a good question. Here we go. Let's take a look. <laughs> Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? To which we're like, Jesus, get back on track. We're talking about death here. What are we, what are we talking about sparrows? Like birds? No, what he's saying here is, is, this is genius. He's saying, how much do you spend on buying these little birds? Five for two pennies? Cheap. So much that you take, you buy five, you take it to your kids and say, look, look, I brought five. Oh, one flew away. It's okay, I could buy another one. Daddy, I, I, I accidentally killed one. Oh, it's okay, we could get another one. We human beings put a price, a value on these birds. Two pennies for five sparrows. 
But how does God see them? Yet, not one of them is forgotten by God. The value that we as human beings put on these birds is far less than the value that God puts on these birds. We say two pennies, so cheap that if one flies away, we could get another one. Don't worry about it, kids. We'll get another one. Well, I'll stop by the bird shop tomorrow and get five more for two pennies. No problem. Meanwhile, God is tracking the one that flew away because he cares about them that much. And then next he talks about something weird again. He says, indeed, the very heads, uh, hairs on your head are all numbered. Again, Jesus, get back on track. We're talking about death here. No, 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 no. What, again, what he's saying here is ingenious. What he's saying here is this. You, as human beings, value hair. And if you don't believe me, talk to me in five to ten years, and I'll tell you how much I value hair, okay? Because <clears throat> you take a bath, and you're like, oh, I lost a few, right? And you, while you value your hair, right, it, w- once there's hair in your, head, in your hands, if you really value hair, this is what you would do. Oh, no, there's some hairs I lost. I'm going to put it in a little nice case and put it, take it home and place it on an altar because this is how much I value hair, right? We say we value hair. We take care of our hair, but when we lose hair, we don't really value it that much, right? Meanwhile, God is saying, I know exactly how many hairs are, are on your scalp right now. I know how many you lost last night while you were sleeping, and I know how many new hairs are growing out right now because he's keeping track. What we value, we think we value, God values far more than we even anticipated. Did you know that if you really value something, you actually keep track of the numbers? How many hairs do you have? I thought so. Well, for those of you who have zero, it's easier to keep track. But, right? <clears throat> but he's saying, if you really value hair, you would know exactly how many you have, but you don't know how many hairs you have. Because the amount of value that we human beings put on hair is way smaller than the value that God puts on it. So when it comes to sparrows, God values it more than we do. When it comes to hair on our heads, God values it far more than we do. And then he says, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You have a value on you. You have a value on your neighbors. Just imagine how much more value God puts on you than you would put on you. What does this mean? Well, Dr. Green tells us what it means. In other words, after reading verses 6 and 7, Jesus asserts that in hostile situations of life impairments, that means when your life is in threat, God is the only one who should be feared, might be scared of, but the character of God is such that one need not fear him. What he's saying is, like, amazing. He says, when Jesus says, you shouldn't be worried about that guy that could take your life away, right? Because that's all he could do is take, he could only take your body. He can't take you away. But the one who can is God. But guess what? God values you so much. He loves you way more than you could ever imagine that you could never, you never ever have to worry of him throwing you into hell. You never ever have to worry about him disposing you like you would a bird or hare. So what he's saying here is Jesus is saying the greatest fear that you should have, like not fear like reverence fear, but fear like, ah, scared, right? That fear that you're, that you're, that, that's on your mind right now, you never have to worry about it because we have a loving God, more loving than you could ever imagine. In other words, he says the most powerful being has got your back. So you don't have to worry about it. So should I be hypocritical? Because, you know, I, my life is in danger. Should I, should, I, should I say one thing about Jesus here to save my life? And Jesus says, you have nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry about it because he's got your back. 
And so this raises another question, which is, well, if he's on my side, if he's got my back, how do I know that I'm on his, like, how do I know that I'm actually on his side? Like, how do I know that, that he's got my back? Jesus is like, well, you want to know if you're on God's team? He's like, yeah, yeah, tell me if I'm on God's team. Like, well, okay, so this is what he says next. There's a progression to this. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, that's the code for Jesus, will also acknowledge before the, angel, uh, acknowledge before the angels of God. This is what he's saying. Do you want to know you're on God's team? Well, on your team, is Jesus on your list? When you talk about who's on your team, is Jesus at the top of your list? So let's just say Jesus has a clipboard. Coach Jesus, right? You want to be on my team? Well, okay, let me call roll. Peter, all right. John, good. Bartholomew, good, right? And you're like, Jesus, is my name on there? Is my name on there? And Jesus is like, well, it depends. Who's on your list? And like, uh, Jesus, you're on my list? And he's like, well, look here. Kotz, you're right here on my list too. It's like, if you confess me, if you say that I'm on your side, then that means that you're, that if you say that I'm on your team, that means that you're on my team also. But the opposite is also true. Next verse, verse 9. But whoever disowns me before others will, dis, will be disowned before the angels of God. <clears throat> he's saying, the way, if, you do, if, if I look at your list and I'm not on your list, if I'm not on your team, then you're not on my team either. In other words, you choose to be on Jesus' team by how you speak about him. If you talk about him in such a way that makes it sound like you're not on his team, Jesus is like, yeah, you're not on my team either. But if you talk about him to your friends and to your workers, you know, if whenever you're asked about where do you stand on certain things and you always say, well, I'm on Jesus' side, then you look on Jesus' list and say, look, your name is on that list. So if you want to know if you're on Jesus' team, then ask yourself the question, how do you speak about me in public to your friends in private? What, how, do you, how do you talk about me? Because that is going to determine if you're on Team Jesus or not. But then at this point, you're like, Jesus, um, when I was in the fourth grade, I might have said something that I regret. Like in the fourth grade, I, somebody asked me if I was on Team Jesus, and it wasn't cool to be on Team Jesus, so I said no. Were you listening when I said that? And Jesus was like, yeah, I kind of heard you say that. Well, I've spoken against you in the past. Does that mean that I'm off your list? And Jesus was like, well, here's my next verse. <laughs> this is what he says. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, against Jesus, will be forgiven. He's like, I heard you in the fourth grade when you said that, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll forgive you. Again, if he ends right there, then that would have been great. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives you a little caveat. He says, but there's something else you need to know. And he says this. He says, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? Some people call this the unforgivable sin, which is not the right label for this. Because it's not the sin that is unforgivable. He says, it's, it's called the unforgivable sinner. And this is, so in case you don't know what this is saying, this is what he's saying. The Holy Spirit, okay, and this is new to you, uh, you can talk to me afterwards, but the Holy Spirit of the Trinity, okay, is the agent that helps us define right and wrong. So you'll probably hear Christians say this, like, oh, I was praying and I felt the Spirit tug me to do A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z, right? The Holy Spirit is what directs us to the right things. And he's saying, if you keep denying the Holy Spirit, if you keep saying whatever the Holy Spirit told me to do, I'm doing the exact opposite of. If you keep blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then you don't have that agent inside of you that tells you what's right and wrong. And therefore, you become the unforgivable sinner. There's a, there's a guy by the name of George McDonald, and if you don't know who he is, he's, he's long gone, but he's one of my favorite. If you've ever come across any of his writings, read it. 
you'll come on the other side of that book or writings thinking like, wow, I didn't know God loved me that much. As a matter of fact, George MacDonald is the guy who introduced Jesus to C.S. Lewis. So he's a really smart guy. And when he was asked about this verse, he's like, what do, you, what do you think this means? He says, well, if God is all loving, why wouldn't he forgive all sins? Like, why, why would he not forgive this one sinner? And this is what he had to say. This is really amazing what he says. He says, how does God destroy sin? Right? Because sin is the thing that keeps us from God. By leading the sinner to hate the wrong he has done, turn from it, and choose to do right again. When, when once God has accomplished this, he has his child back in his arms, and all is well. The child has been forgiven. He says this, if there is a person, let's just say me, if, if I just sinned, and let's just say that sin is greed, I want to hold on to everything I have, right? But because I'm holding on to hoarding everything I have because I'm afraid of losing it, by holding on to things, I'm actually alienating myself from the people around me. People are starting to talk about me. They're saying, Kotz, uh, Kotz is a, he cares more about money than he cares about us, right? If God says, Kotz, I want you to go and be generous to this person, that person, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it because I want to hold on to my stuff. So it's like sin is now separating me from God and from the people around me, right? I, I can't experience heaven on earth because of my sin. And George MacDonald says this, what happens at that point is the Holy Spirit comes to me and he starts to reveal to me how disgusting and how destructive this sin is. And once I see like, oh my gosh, I'm losing my friends, I'm being separated from God, and you know, people don't like me anymore, I have all my stuff, but what really happens does that bring me, oh no, what should I do? To a point of disgust that I'm like, I need to do everything I can to get rid of this sin. So this is how it works for every one of you guys. That if there's a sin inside of you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, and then through that, this inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you will start to shed off the things inside of you that were considered sin, things that separate you from other people, pe- things that separate you from God. You start to shed it because you're like, I don't want anything to do with it, and you start like taking it off like, ah, I don't want, just leave that greed over there. I don't want anything to do with it. Ugh, be gone, you know, get out, right? He says, that's how God works. But what happens if we don't respond that way? That's the next part he says. He says this, but what if the child will not repent? What if he has so set himself against the light and the truth that he has silenced the voice of God inside him that leads him to repentance? What happens if the Holy Spirit says, Kotz, get rid of greed, and says, la, 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 I don't want to hear you, to a point where I convince myself, you know, whatever God has to say to me is evil, so I'm not going to do it. What happens then? Then Dr. McDonald says this. He refuses to forgive that person, not so that he may be damned forever, but so that the horror of being without God and alone with himself may shatter his willful deafness and cause him to respond to God's voice once more. God says, I am not going to forgive that sin. I'm not going to forgive you. So you could get a feeling of how isolating it is to live in your own sin. I'm not going to forgive you. If I just fixed everything for you, you would not learn anything. I'm just enabling you. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let you sit in your sin for a while because then, maybe at that point, you start to feel like this isn't right. Something's not right. I thought I had my life in order, but it's really not the way that I, I should be going. I thought I could be an asset to this world. I thought I could be helping the people around me. The people in the world would be happier for my existence, but it's exactly the opposite. I need to change. And once you get to that point, God says, are you ready to listen to the Holy Spirit again? Yeah? Okay then I forgive you. The act of the Holy Spirit not forgiving the sins of that unforgivable sin, you know, that, that whole thing is an act of love. 
What he's saying here is this. You can't be on God's team if you continually reject the Holy Spirit's influence. You can't. And then Jesus concludes this section by saying this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is really interesting. He's saying, the Holy Spirit that you've been denying all this time is exactly the one that you need in order to get through the trials you're about to face. Now, you're like, okay, wait, wait, Kotz, this message is so all over the place. Like, you're talking about hypocrisy, and you're talking about hell, and you're talking about death, and you're talking about, what, what is this sermon about? It's not my fault, it's Jesus, right? <laughs> okay, I want to show you, because as I was talking this over with Val last night, we're like, yeah, like, why isn't there a singular point? Well, there is a singular point, but I, I, I want to share with you the complexity of what Jesus is doing here. And this is a very Jewish way of teaching. So here's a diagram for you guys. So first, Jesus started talking about, hey, beware of hypocrisy. He's like, be careful. Hypocrisy is a dangerous thing. And he says, while I'm still talking about hypocrisy, next slide, right? The word hypocrisy kind of lets a light bulb in his head and says, oh, let me talk about hypocrisy for a second. Next slide. So he says, fear causes hypocrisy. Let me tell you about hypocrisy. Fear is the thing that causes hypocrisy. While we're on the topic of fear, let me tell you something about fear. Next slide. He says, oh, don't fear death. God is on your side. Well, how do I know I'm on God's side? I'm glad you brought that up. Next slide. He says, well, if you choose me, I'm on your side. If you don't choose me, I'm not on your side. But since we're talking about not choosing me, let me talk, tell you about that. Next slide. He says, if you don't, didn't choose me, you're okay, but beware of denying the Spirit. While we're talking about the Spirit, let me tell you something about the Spirit. Next slide. Spirit will guide you through your storm, so don't deny it. Do you see how complex this is? This is a very rabbinical way of teaching back then where one thought leads to another and that thought leads to another and you have this long chain of things. You know, it's like somebody who has ADD, right? It's like, oh, that reminds me of something else and you go off and have other thoughts. Okay, which I'm about to do, so I'm not going to do that. Okay, but you see where it says spirit, the spirit will guide you through your storms. Where does it guide you to? It guides you back to the first point, which is, It will guide you to make sure that you don't have two faces, that you are remaining loyal to the calling of God in your life. So in a way, it's like this long chain of things, but it brings it back to the main point. So we know what the main point is. This is the main point. Next slide. Hypocrisy is caused by fear. Fear of death, fear of reputation. You're losing your reputation, whatever it may be, okay? Hypocrisy is dangerous and is caused by fear. But here's the thing. When you face fear... When you're faced with fear, don't deny the one who will help you stand against that fear. We are all afraid, especially nowadays, I don't know if you've been looking at the news, but Christianity does not have the best reputation right now. And so when you're hanging out with your friends and somebody asks you, hey, are you one of those Christians? And you're like, what does he mean by those Christians, right? <laughs> and so you're, you're like, I'm afraid that if I were to say I'm a Christian, that my reputation might be on the line. My friendship might be on the line. And so you're like, oh, maybe I should just deny it. Jesus teaches us, it's at that point when you're facing that fork on the road to create this other reputation that you're going to, you know, say something that's not true. It's at that point the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to speak. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the agent that tells you what's right and wrong. He's going to tell you at that point, he's going to whisper in your heart, cuts, don't compromise. Here are the words you should say. Now, keep in mind in the verse, it doesn't say that by letting the Holy Spirit speak to you to say the things that we're supposed to say next, that he will help you avert disaster. He doesn't say that. 
the promise he makes in his context is if you listen to the Holy Spirit when you're being faced with these questions, he will help you, guide you to being loyal to Jesus to the very end. So the question is this. Have you ever been in a situation where you're, when you were tempted to compromise because you were afraid? Whether if, you're, if it's fear of, in some cases, at, at least 2,000 years ago, it was very common, the fear of death. That by saying that you're a Christian, that you follow Jesus, your life may be in danger. Or maybe in today, in your context, you might be judged. The fear of being judged by your friends. By telling people that I'm a Christian, people might judge me. Or maybe the fear is something in between. And at that point, you're like, Jesus, I am so tempted to, in, in private, in secret, whisper in somebody's ear, I'm not really a Christian. <laughs> because then at least I could maintain my reputation. I, have, I feel safer when I say stuff, stuff like that. And Jesus would say, don't, don't do that. Because when you deny that, you're actually denying the one that's going to help you have the life that God calls you to live. Don't compromise on that. The very thing you're trying to reject is the one that's going to help you through this conflict you're facing right now. So don't do it. What he's saying here is you need to take a stand. In times when you're most afraid is when you really need to hang on. So what is it that you need to confess to God today? Have you compromised in the past? Have you been in that situation where you know the truth? The truth is that you are a follower of Jesus, that you love Jesus with all your heart. But you're so worried about the consequences of admitting that that you decide to say something else. Have you faced that temptation? God says, hang on to me because that is what's going to help you get through this because hypocrisy is so dangerous. Do not buy into the yeast of the Pharisees. Do not buy into hypocrisy because that is what will eventually lead you to the denial of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's pray.